Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Encouraging you to live as an ambassador of God's kingdom in the world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. It is Wednesday, the 8th of January, 2020. Uh, Everyone has now heard or is now aware that Iran uh, has attacked U.S. targets in Iraq. No casualties have been reported. However, um, you know, it can be scary, right? Uh, If you are a person who pays any attention whatsoever to social media, you know that it was a flame yesterday evening with um, not just... uh, Rumors of war, but uh, predictions that, you know, World War Three has now started. So like everyone, um, kids are going to hear that today. And not just the news of today, but the news of every day. Like, right, we are not the only uh, people who hear what we hear on the radio or over the TV or, um, you know, over all of our streaming sources on the Internet. Like everyone, kids actually hear the horrible news um that we all hear. And it can be really scary if you're a kid because you don't yet have um, you don't yet have all of the faculties that adults possess to process through some of this. And so kids are going to hear about wars and rumors of wars, and they're going to hear um, that, you know, the United States killed a bad guy whose name was Qassam Soleimani. Uh, and then his country, Iran, retaliated by bombing a place where U.S. military personnel live in Iraq. And depending on which station you're tuned into on your car radio or which station you're tuned into um, in terms of television coverage, the commentators that you're listening to and how much you repeat of what you hear or how much uh, conversation kids overhear between adults who, um, you know, tend to foment on these things. Um, Conversations surrounding war, revenge or death or Islam are inevitable and your kids are going to head to school and they're going to engage on social media and they're going to encounter other kids who are commenting on and seeking to perpetuate fear and anxiety that lots of people fear and need people to help them process today. So you are a parent or grandparent or a teacher uh, or a youth leader. Today's the day to enter into real conversations with kids, regardless of their age. Um, real conversations with them at an age-appropriate level uh, about the truth. Tell them the truth. Tell them the story. Set it in the context of the of the longest narrative. The longest narrative being, you know, God's plan um, and the redemptive reality of a gospel universe. So set it in the context of a story, but also set the story of today's events in terms of what Iran is doing in relationship to the United States and, let's say, in relationship to Israel, set that in the larger worldview context conversation of religion. Ideas have consequences. Bad ideas don't just have bad consequences. Uh, You've heard John Stone Street say say periodically, actually pretty frequently on Breakpoint, bad ideas don't just have bad consequences. Bad ideas have victims. Um, That plays out in the conversations that we are having today or need to be having today with our kids. So tell them the truth. Give them the facts at an age-appropriate level. Tell them the story. Set the whole thing in a narrative. It's a whole lot easier to understand the characters and the storyline if it's in narrative form. 
and then tend to their feelings. Your child may be feeling anxious or afraid. Your job today is to anticipate and tend to the doubts, questions, anxiety, and fear that arise in a child's heart and in their mind. Um, Since the fall, human beings have walked in a fear of violence. And sometimes those fears are reasonable and sometimes they're not. And so you and I do not live in a war zone. Missiles are not falling where we live. Um, And Iran cannot reach our, our homes and our schools. And so it's important to acknowledge that and to not live in fear. That's actually what terrorists want. That is what they want. They want to create, stoke the kind of terror that would actually force us to change the way that we live as free people. Um, And then contend for the faith. When news breaks, how do you respond? Consider today how you respond as an adult in the presence of your child in the face of breaking news. Consider today that breaking news is an opportunity for you as a parent to reflect the reality that we live in a gospel universe, that we trust God, that we live under his sovereignty and in, in the midst of his grace, and that we walk our faith out into the world that he so loves in ways that honor Jesus. Our, our living in the world today in the midst of all the chaos is that we would be people of peace and that we would sow peace and that we would be people who communicate the reality of the gospel, even in the midst um, of very dark and sometimes very scary headlines. All right, next up, I've got Josh Good. He's the director of Faith Angle Forum. He and I have a number of things to talk about, um, just in terms of the way Christians engage our faith in, uh, in the politics and the issues of the day. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Josh Good. He's the director of Faith Angle Forum. You can find him at eppc.org. That's the Ethics and Public Policy Center Defending American Ideals, eppc.org. Josh, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Thanks, Carmen. Good morning. Good morning. So let's start with, let's just introduce people to um, Faith Angle Forum. I, I know about some of your events and some of your programs, um, and I certainly am aware of some of your scholars. But let's just let's just introduce people to um, to Faith Angle Forum and what you guys are doing. Sure, we we really fly largely below the radar, uh, so it's kind of rare to do this. But uh, it's a project that's been around for 21 years. It was created by uh, a wonderful guy called Mike Cromarty, um, who had the idea when a journalist called him in 1998 or 99. Uh, and said, essentially, you're telling me all these sort of trends and changes about uh, men and women's roles at ministry. I don't really understand this, but, but okay, so you're talking about this book, um, Ephesians, and then this other one called Galatians, like, you know, where can I get a copy? Uh, who's the publisher? And he thought, gosh, like, you know, there's a big disconnect between uh, a lot of journalists today and religion in America. So um, this is actually one of my little personal passion points um, you know, I know I'm in the Rolodex of a couple of journalists, um, and I don't even I don't even consider my conversations with them off the record. I feel like I'm like deep, deep research base, like right. So the conversations that we need to be having today with journalists about, let's say, the United Methodist Church and what the United Methodist Church is going through, and it's you know they can get uh, its history, but they can't necessarily get the all of the 
connections to the experience that, let's say, Presbyterians have just had or Lutherans have just had or Episcopalians, now Anglicans have just had, and how each one of those um, differ and on and on and on. So like you, I have a real passion for journalists to have um, access to people of faith. And so, you know, I think we should have great relationship, great relationships with the journalists in our own community. We should certainly know the Godbeat writers um, in our own communities, but you're really working with them on a national level. So um, when, when you think about the ways in which we could better communicate with journalists in our own communities, maybe you could give people just a couple of ideas for, you know, how could they even go about connecting with the people in their own local community who cover religion? Sure, sure. I think, you know, so many of us uh, are shaped by and formed by uh, the bubbles that we live in. And um, if you're a, a mainstream journalist today and you went to Columbia Journalism School and, and you went to a big uh, state college or, or, or a, a elite school, um, you don't really get an, an opportunity to interact with with Methodists or Anglicans or 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 uh, religiously serious Presbyterians and others, and it's easy to forget uh, just how religious the country is. And so, when, as you say, the, <clears throat> the sort of the, the new uh, commitments around uh, marriage, around uh, gender roles, around opinions, around sort of public political engagement uh, play out, it's hard to understand that. And so. Uh, yeah, we, we have a, a little project, uh, Carmen, that essentially invites 20 journalists at a time to get away from New York or Los Angeles or Washington or Minneapolis and uh, to go spend two, day, two days in a deep dive with uh, religion scholars, sometimes with clerics. We've had Tim Keller and Rick Warren, uh, sometimes with scholars. We've just recently had Christian Smith and others. And we have essentially record those conversations and sometimes break them up. Uh, in the podcast form and into uh, re- recordings so that others can listen uh, throughout the larger network. We've had um, about about 275 uh, journalists take part in one of these forums over the course of the last 20 years. A lot of times they're some of the same group. But, yeah, if you're talking with a, with a journalist in your, in your area, um, I think it's wise to be uh, appreciative of their role as storytellers uh, who shape the news that we read and digest and respectful of, 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 their, of, their, of, their, of their work. Um, but also to sometimes uh, invite them along to major uh, opportunities, you know, uh, uh, a larger service sometimes or, or uh, you know, uh, data about um, the religious composition of the country. Even if it's lower amongst millennials than it used to be, uh, there's a lot of curiosity amongst millennials, and it'd be interesting to talk about that a, a little bit. But, but uh, the world's a very religious place. If you're covering Iran, uh, you need to know that it's 93 percent. Uh, Shiite Islam, uh, Muslim in the country. That, that's at least a factor uh, after a, a big, big funeral. Uh, what's that mean? Uh, the, the religion reality is all around us. So even just, I think it was yesterday, um, you know, when, when Mike Pompeo is saying to a room full of journalists, um, anybody, you know, anybody think what uh, what Iran is saying is, or, or even what Iraq is saying um, is serious, um, that this was a peace event, that, that this was... Uh, that this was Soleimani on a peace mission, a diplomatic mission, um, and he's going to, you know, everybody in the room, I mean, well, the people who laughed understood the underlying religious difference between Sunni and Shiite Islam. Everybody in the room that got the joke 
understood the religious uh, issues at hand. And and the people who didn't get the joke, they don't they don't understand the difference. And so I I absolutely agree with you that in order to um, seriously engage the news of the day, we have to not only understand our own religious convictions and why we do what we do as people of faith and in the country, in the context of the country in which we live, we have to understand religion uh, the, the religion in which others are operating, the seriousness of their faith and how that influences their uh, the politics of their nations, um, you know, and then obviously our geopolitical engagement with them. Hey, Josh, let's take a quick break. And when we come back, let's continue this conversation. I'm talking with Josh Good from the Faith Angle Forum. Um, and we're, we're talking about how we as people of faith can engage with journalists in order that the coverage of um, of things happening in our own communities, but certainly nationally, uh, maybe are more fair to the perspective of people of serious religious faith in America today. Continuing the conversation in just a moment, you're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Continuing my conversation with Josh Good. Josh is the director of the Faith Angle Forum. You can find it at faithangle.org. Josh, you have used the word storyteller in relationship to journalists. Um, You have also referenced sort of the generational shift in terms of the way people think about things and the access to information they have just because of the way culture has moved, um, you know, over the course of time. Uh, comment on, if you will, our need as people of religious faith to do a better job telling our story instead of just making propositional statements. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, we're we're all formed by sort of internal yearnings. Uh, one of the speakers we had recently was Jamie Smith. He was also on our podcast uh, talking about his new book. And he says, you know, we are not uh, brains on a stick. Uh, we're not uh, shaped by didactic, um, you know, uh, claims alone. In reality, all of us are deeply uh, formed by desire. We're formed by love. We're, we're fundamentally a heart more than a mind, even though both dynamics are always at work. And so I think it's worth respecting that. Uh, we often sort of ask for that uh, from the world and going back and forth between the newspaper and our, 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 our religious communities. But I think it's worth respecting that in the other direction, too. Um, journalists are experiencing you know, changes in the economics of journalism. They're having to piece together uh, gigs. They're having to go back and forth between TV and, and between, uh, you know, writing for their local local paper, uh, core reporting, but also uh, commentary. Um, they're trying to piece it together, too, to make sense of the world and to give back to the world. Uh, and so I think a sympathetic toward, you know, view, view of journalists, um, you know, sets up all kinds of opportunities uh, to to have great breakthrough stories. And we've got lots of them through the years, uh, including people who have, have been committed. I mean, I just, we had recently the privilege of hosting a guy called Jonathan Haidt, who's a wonderful thinker uh, at NYU Stern School of Business. He said, uh, as a sort of uh, agnostic uh, Jewish heritage, he said, making a real contribution all over the, the place, worth, 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 worth following. He said, you know, when I was at, at uh, Charlottesville uh, teaching at UVA, I listened to uh, Christian radio sometimes on my drives back and forth uh, to work, and essentially the people uh, that I thought were kind of, you know, really out there, a little bit crazy, um, became far more sympathetic to me. Um, there was an openness and an appreciation, a softness. Uh, that is uh, true of many journalists, if we only find it. 
Yeah, I remember a, a, a conversation that I had after um, oh, his first name escapes me. Uh, Tom, Tom uh, Crottenmaker of uh, of Yale Divinity School, uh, who is not a Christian. Uh, it, after he wrote his book, Confessions of a Secular Jesus Follower, um, I mean, I still remember conversations with him on air on this topic. Like, how do we as people of faith engage with people who are not people of faith, but who swim in the same water that we're swimming in and actually um, adopt in many cases, very biblical ideas and storylines, and they adopt them as their own. And we can either be um, sort of offended that uh, things of our faith have been appropriated, um, or we can use those as touch points to say, there's a reason that your heart resonates with that. Like, and, and it's because it's true. Um, and so I do think that this heart and head and this conversational approach and this finding the places where we stand on common ground um, because we are members of a common humanity, like these are all really good ways to engage um, not only nationally when there's a story going on, but I think locally with journalists in our own community. Uh, I couldn't agree with you more. And it's it's so reassuring and encouraging uh, to remember that uh, sort of all truth is God's truth, and when it's discovered, we can celebrate that uh, joyfully. And you know, there have been a couple of uh, commentators here and in London uh, that we've had the privilege of working with a little bit. Nick Kristoff comes to mind at the New York Times. Mm. Uh, Matthew Paris comes to mind as well uh, in the London Times, you know, who have gone back and forth to Africa and have observed communities up close and seen doctors serve sacrificially and seen uh, Christian missionaries, uh, you know, have incredible joy in their eyes. And they essentially say, uh, as either agnostics or atheists who are principled, committed, uh, so, you know, we cannot ignore this. It's it's incredible to appreciate um, the reality and vitality of, of religious fervor and faith and commitment. Uh, these are not people who are trying to trick those that they're serving. It's genuine. So one of the things I want to be sure that we uh, share with people today is that if they go to faithangle.org, faithangle.org, and you look for the podcast, um, many of the conversations that they're doing a deep dive on uh, here at Faith Angle Forum are, are stories that we have certainly touched on and had conversations about here on Mornings with Carmen. We talk about religious freedom and international religious freedom on a fairly regular basis, and there are a couple of podcasts posted there, um, one featuring Ambassador Sam Brownback that you're just wanna, you're going to want to go and listen to. We've recently talked about fairness for all as a proposal um, related to the Equality Act. Uh, it, you know, is it an acceptable sort of Christianized version of it? They've got Shirley Hoekstra um, on uh, talking about that topic in one of their podcasts. So you want to go to Faith Angle dot org and grab um, grab their podcast and and start listening to uh, you know to to this conversation as a way of being equipped for the conversations that each of us are challenged to have um, each and every day. Hey Josh, what would you say um, you know is your one encouragement to people who are listening in terms of engaging across generations? Because the way that I think about things, um, you know, as a what am I Gen X person? Um, very, very different than the way millennials think or Gen Z thinks. And now, of course, I'm going to have to get ready to communicate with the alpha generation. Yes, yes. Well, uh, thanks for the plug in the podcast. Uh, we hope that's a resource to, to young people and, and, and others who are curious. Um, and uh, we'll have one coming up uh, very soon with, with uh, Christianity Today's folks, Mark Galley and, and, and Nap Nasworth, who just, just, just recently uh, quit his job over a sort of— I went to college, so Nap and, yeah. I, Nap and I were young life leaders at the University of Florida. 
come on. That's great. So, okay, okay. There yeah, you go. Yeah, just talked to him yesterday. <laughs> he says hi. Uh, well, that's uh, – yeah. So, I mean, you know, um, in terms of, uh, you know, reaching across generations, you know, I think one of the things that we're so grateful for where the project has got 20 years history and a whole lot of journalists who know it, appreciate it, uh, is, is lots of relational goodwill and an ecosystem – uh, sort of a, a, a broader network uh, that can be drawn from. And uh, at these forums, these relationships were strong enough that people would have conversations at dinner, uh, they'd have conversations uh, at coffee and at the bar uh, that would go late into the night oftentimes. And, you know, there's just a lot to appreciate from some of the best journalists in the in the country uh, in that regard. A lot can be learned from. So the podcast is an example of that for us uh, to sort of draw on that and get there perspective, uh, wisdom, usually with a different journalist and a different religion scholar each time uh, is the normal normal format. Um, you know, I think for those of us who are trying to connect with um, millennials, it's great to just appreciate the reality of their world, uh, which is you know, entirely digital. And, uh, you know, when you should perhaps uh, consider a conversation with a person who's four cubicles over or uh, two, two doors down, um, you know, it's face to face and they want to text instead, um, sometimes to, to be willing to play their game, uh, to appreciate the role of, um, of Twitter for learning the thoughts of people who are a little bit ahead of us. And, um, you know, but also uh, to appreciate that eventually um, the desire for face to face relationship uh, pulls us all. And so um, while our congregations can be, you know, smart about video and and staying in touch with people throughout the week. I think that yearning won't go away. We've heard increasingly about parties in New York City where people have to drop their phones on the way in the door, uh, which sounds counterintuitive at age 22 um, <laughs> and, and, the, and the like. And uh, so to remember that that, that, that face-to-face pull relationally, um, which is the, the thing we don't have in between when we're doing the texting and the like, um, will we'll continue to be there. Love it. All right. You guys can find Josh and everything that is going on at faithangle.org. Be sure you grab the podcast. Josh, thanks so much. Thanks, Carmen, so much. Absolutely. All right. We'll be right back. So uh, when Greg Laurie is talking there about um, anxiety and the way you get rid of it, um, it it occurs to me that uh, Thomas Chalmers talks about the expulsive power of a new affection. So if I just focus on my anxiety and my worry and my frustration and I like try to get rid of it, that doesn't work. But if I expel it, if I allow my life to be filled with um, scripture and joy and singing and fellowship and service to others, then my anxiety and my worry is actually pressed out um, it's it, it doesn't there's no room left in me for worry and anxiety because I am um, I am focused on the things that are above not on the things of the of the world in, in the right way like right I'm still walking in the world but I'm doing so in ways that honor Jesus trusting God um, with no anxiety because I'm yoked to him and frankly he is carrying the burden of the load so there you go an expulsive the expulsive power of a new affection is really what Greg Laurie is talking about there in terms of ridding ourselves of anxiety. Uh, Up next, Hunter Baker from Union University. Um, Because we have not even used the word yet this year, I felt like it was time to talk a little bit about impeachment. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. So what are you doing this summer? Why don't you meet me at the University of Northwestern St. Paul for the Northwestern Christian Writers Conference, July 24 and 25. Your favorite author and host Susie Larson is going to be there um, but I'll be there too so why don't you uh, why don't you why don't you join us 20% off registration for the month of January 
You go to NorthwesternChristianWritersConference.com and register today. It's July 24th and 25th. Love to see you there. We'll be right back. Life has a way of dishing out trouble, doesn't it? And if you're dealing with a struggling teen in your home, I guarantee your plate is full. Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. In Romans 8, we read, And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. Life dishes out trouble, and all things work together for good. Hmm, how do we connect those dots? Let me suggest to you that the pain of dealing with a teen spinning out of control can lead to a new understanding of God's sovereignty. So yeah, life dishes out trouble, but all things work together for those who love God, no matter what's happening in your home. God promises that He's working there behind the scenes. Want more help from Mark Gregston? Check out his latest resources online at parentingtodaysteens.org. Dr. Hunter Baker serves as the Dean of the College of Arts and Sciences. He's a university fellow, associate professor of political science at Union University in Jackson, Tennessee. He's the author of three books, The End of Secularism, Political Thought, A Student's Guide, and The System Has a Soul. Uh, In addition to his work at Union University, uh, Hunter also serves as an associate editor for the Journal of Markets and Morality, a contributing editor for Touchstone, a journal of mere Christianity. Uh, He's a research fellow for the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission of the Southern Baptist Church, and I'm sure his bio um, is going to soon to be updated. He's a regular guest here on Mornings with Carmen. Hunter, Happy New Year. Hey, thank you. I appreciate it. (laughs) We love talking with you. Um, Maybe let's just jump into the deep water. We have, uh, in 2020, not yet used the word impeachment. And so I kind of felt like it was time and you seemed like the guy to, I don't know, wade into the water with. <laughs> yeah, this is this is the strangest impeachment. I mean, it's uh, it, it feels, you know, as we were kind of going through the holidays, I, I felt like it, this is a very low wattage impeachment, uh, you know, that's sort of not necessarily the top of people's minds. And I I have continued to have people email me and ask me to explain, uh, you know, why is President Trump being impeached? Um, you know, that's one of the one of the issues is that a lot of folks don't understand. Um, I think that the I think that the biggest thing, and I and I don't think we're going to get satisfaction on this from either the House or the Senate, is that the to me the the case the fundamental case is sort of. Uh, not proved. Um, and, you know, I don't think that the House really succeeded in establishing it. And I'm not sure the Senate is interested in establishing it. So uh, I think we're just going to be left kind of uncertain. Okay. So where it stands right now, the House of Representatives has passed two articles of impeachment. Um, yes. But it was a, a, a totally partisan party line vote. I mean, you know, basically. Um, and and yet those articles have not yet been transmitted to the Senate. And so right. let me ask this question. And this now I'm going to reveal that I was not a political science major. Um, has the president been impeached? 
and just not removed from office, or has he not yet been impeached? Well, there's an issue of contention here. Um, Theoretically, the House has impeached the president, but impeachment does not mean removal. Um, Impeachment, the, the word that would go with impeachment would be indictment, right? So, so in a normal, uh, normal court sort of a situation, if you were indicted, it doesn't mean you did the thing, right? It means that you are going to have to defend yourself in court against having done the thing, right? Uh, so the impeachment, whenever you read impeachment, you could just read indictment. Um, but one of the, one of the issues is, is, but you know, to, to my knowledge, it has not yet been transmitted to the Senate and uh, for their consideration. And at least one prominent constitutional scholar, uh, including one who testified against Donald Trump in the House, has said he is not impeached uh, until they send the articles to the Senate. So there might be an argument to be made that he hasn't even been impeached. <laughs> Okay, so now we have um, the the prospect. I mean, I think right, it's eventually uh, going to be tried by the Senate. That's at least you know once the articles are transmitted, at whatever point right. in time that happens. But we're in this weird limbo time where now we hear rumblings that the House may um, you know reopen their process in order to uh, append another article of impeachment or. Um, you know, because there are now people who've said they're, you know, they're willing to testify if called upon that the House may open, reopen their process in order to hear from those individuals. Any thoughts on any of that? Can it go back? Uh, you know, it's so irregular. Um, and part of the problem that we're having is uh, incredible distrust um, between the House and the Senate. Uh, why is that? Well, because the House is controlled by the Democrats and the Senate is controlled by the Republicans. Um, <clears throat> the The House made their case. They voted, um, and they are realizing, uh, as they always knew, that now it's going to go to the Senate where, uh, where the advantage will be with the president, and they're having second thoughts uh, about what they've sent, right, and, and whether there's adequate evidence to be considered and – uh, whether the Senate will be able to ignore the things that they have developed. So they, they're having the desire now to kind of go back and bolster the case. Okay, which brings us to John Bolton. Um, uh, so I just, I don't really want to speculate on whether or not he's going to testify and if he does, what it would be about. Um, what I would like for us to consider as Christians in this conversation is what does it look like to have a readiness to bear witness, a readiness to testify any time in any place when called upon to do so? Well, let me say this. I mean, the, the thing that it has struck me um, about this is, is that in both both houses, uh, it's been a highly partisan affair. Um, the Senate has, has sort of uh, broadcast its intentions to handle this in fairly summary fashion. That's what uh, Mitch McConnell has done. I think that's a mistake. I think that uh, that there have been serious charges made. Whether they've been proved or not is a separate question, but there have been serious charges made. And if I were Donald Trump, if I were the leader of the American people, I think I would be saying I want a strong conclusion here. I want to see 
uh, I want to see a, a stronger case made, and I would like to try to vindicate myself. Uh, that means that we really try to explore the truth and we stop treating this as a partisan affair. Um, one of the things that worries me about, about American culture and government is, is that I'm not sure that people are really thinking that way. Um, I think that everybody is kind of playing this thing like a chess match and that's, that's not a good sign. Hmm. All right, Hunter, you and I got to take a quick break. Um, when we come back, let's talk about some of the big themes we see emerging in uh, in 2020, maybe beyond the politics. All right, I'm talking with Hunter Baker from Union University, and we'll be right back. This is amazing Back now with Dr. Hunter Baker, uh, the Dean of the College of Arts and Sciences at the Union University in Jackson, Tennessee. Um, Hunter, um, maybe let's talk about some big themes for 2020. I mean, we obviously sure. there's a presidential election this year and there are summer <coughs> Olympics. But what what other trends are you sort of watching at the intersection of faith and politics? Well, I mean, I think I think one of the biggest things and I, I bet that a lot of us are experiencing this one way or the other <coughs> is that we our population is continuing to get older. Um, mm. You you know, you may can you may uh, remember the time when it was really significant to know somebody who was a hundred years old. In fact, you could get their name announced on national television, you know, on good morning America or something like that. Those days are long past. Uh, there are lots of, lots of hundred plus year olds out there. Um, you know, I myself have a grandmother, uh, 103 years old living in a nursing home. Um, so that that population is going to be more and more numerous. Uh, I, I think that we still, uh, as much as we have developed hospice care and things like that, I'm I'm not sure that we that we yet have really come to grips with with how to deal with end of life well. Uh, how many families are prepared for that? Uh, how many families have meditated upon that spiritually and and how they're going to deal with it when they get there? How they're going to feel about it? How they're going to trust God for it? Um, and, uh, another thing since we're, since I'm a professor, uh, and at a Christian college is that we are getting smaller at the other end. We are having fewer babies. Um, we are not replacing the population anymore. Uh, so we're going to have a population that's going to be older and older and fewer and fewer young people. And that's, that's challenging for any culture. And it's, uh, it's the case in many places around the world. All right. So that's fascinating. I had education and education trends on my list, which um, are certainly affected by uh, places where, you know, kids aren't being born, particularly cities. I mean, I I'm, I just note the um, the real decline in the number of children who live in cities and the effect that has um, then on, you know, obviously on schools and school systems in those um, in those environments. Um what about maybe something on the moral horizon? Anything you feel like we're flirting with that a generation ago we would have said, well, that will never happen. Um, but you think, you know what, that might happen in 2020. So, I mean, so much of it is the the sexuality type stuff that we've mm-hmm. that we've been going through lately. Right. I mean, the um, uh, for example, if you had told me that that a significant issue faced by. Uh, college sports, for example, would be the question of whether men, men, biological men can compete with women. 
uh, I would I would never have believed you. I would I would not have believed that that was even a question, right? Uh, but that is a serious question, and there will be serious uh, court cases about that question. Uh, and the NCAA will grapple with it, and colleges will grapple with it. Um, literally anything having to do with sexuality. Um, you know, every time I fill out a form online, whether it's to buy a plane ticket or whatever, and uh, and my gender is asked, and I notice that it just says male or female, and I think, okay, somebody's gonna somebody's gonna go after that, right? Uh, we don't know. We do not know who we are. We <clears throat> we have embraced personal autonomy, uh, not only with regard to sex, but basically everything, um, to such a degree that everybody, I think, is getting to the point where they want to construct their own personal reality. And it's going to be very difficult for us to live together in a society uh, if we can't agree on even some very common things. Well, yeah. I mean, just, if my personal reality excludes you um, or excludes the idea of you or excludes <laughs> Uh, the idea of higher education or excludes the idea of democracy or excludes the idea of capitalism, it's going to be really hard for me to live in the United States of America. <laughs> yeah, yes, that's right. Um, that's, that's right. And I think another thing is, is that um, I, I noticed this with uh, with young people, particularly uh, and not not all of them, but some of them is that I, I see a pretty strong retreat into the virtual world um, mm -hmm. such that, you know, for instance, uh, with regard to this Iran stuff, I have had uh, a couple of young men recently um, who I know don't really encounter the news in any normal fashion, but they but they kind of they do social media and they, you know, they they see memes that people post and stuff like that. And I've had a couple of young men seriously ask me. Are we are we about to have World War Three? Um, because apparently that's a huge trending thing, World War Three. And I'm just like, you know, we need to have some perspective. Uh, you know what what has happened? Think about not think about the scale of 9/11 and the attack on the Pentagon uh, and how serious that was. Did that lead to World War Three? No. Did it lead to reinstating the draft? No. Uh, you know, this drone strike on this single Iranian is not going to lead to World War Three. But uh, but we are you know, there's there's so much retreat out of sort of a, a common culture that we don't have perspective on these things. OK. And just in case you're listening right now and you think Hunter Baker has completely lost his mind, if you were to Google trending World War Three, you would get the stories that are trending related to this topic. Uh, at yeah. the BBC, Franz Ferdinand <laughs> yeah. and World War Three. Why are these words trending? The Times of Israel, World War Three trends on social media following the Soleimani killing. Bloomberg draft fears for <laughs> Iran war. World War Three and hashtag World War Three draft are trending. I mean, on and on and on. So um, these yeah. are these are concerns. These are conversations. Um, I would add to this list. And it's related. Um, the the I think that in 2020, we are going to see. Um, we've already seen, you know, sort of hints of it, um, but I think we're going to see a lot of deep fake videos and we are going to then have to answer the question, you know, are my eyes lying to me? Can I believe what I see? And that is going to lead us to a question uh, about how we process information and how we discern truth in, um, in a very, um, in a very Alice in Wonderland kind of world. I, that is such a great point. I mean, I've, I, I, 
there are some things that I have refused to think about because they're so horrifying to me. Uh, one of them are the are the three words suitcase nuclear bomb. Mm. Uh, but but deep fakes would be would be one of those as well. Um, the idea of living in a world where someone can make convincing videos of me or anyone else saying literally anything they want is terrifying. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, and when you combine that ability with social media spreading things um, and people lacking the moral compass uh, to choose not to spread such things, uh, but actively to encourage and foment dissent um, and, and anger and hatred, uh, it's a scary thing. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm really worried about that technology and you're right to raise that. All right, Hunter, we'll leave it right there. You and I will return to these conversations in the coming weeks. Thank you so much. Have a blessed uh, beginning to your next semester. Thank you. We'll be right back. All right, we've got a minute here at the bottom of this hour. Um, And so let me just set this question before you. You know, when you think about 2020, when you survey the year that is now ahead, um, what are your hopes and what are your fears? Uh, And Give, give that a little bit of a thought. Give that some thought today. If you would let me know the answer to those questions, what are your hopes? What are your fears? Um, I mean, you know, not, I don't need a long laundry list, but, you know, sort of what's top of mind uh, in terms of your hopes and fears, then we could address some of those subjects here on air. That might be a fun way for us to uh, be sure that we're talking about the things that are actually of interest and concern to you. So you can always text me 877-933-2484, hopes and fears. Uh, or you can email me your hopes and fears, Carmen at MyFaithRadio.com. we got another hour of Mornings with Carmen up next. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.